0: You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also, be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. The Houndsman XP Podcast is fueled by Joy Dog Food. Joy Dog Food has a rich tradition of supporting the Houndsmen of America. Founded in 1945, Joy is proud of its history and the relationship it has built with the American Houndsmen. And in 76 years, there's never been a recall. Made with 100% American-made high-quality ingredients, Joy Dog Food has one of the highest calorie-dense formulas on the market. This is the Houndsman XP Podcast. Good dog,
1: get that bear. Get that bear
0: The original podcast for the complete Houndsman. The podcast that represents our lifestyle of extreme performance. Get up there. Yeah! Yeah!
1: Yeah!
0: Good boy! Good boy, Ranger! Uniting houndsmen across the globe, from east to west, north to south.
1: You know, if you're going to catch a cat or a
0: lion, you know, you have to have teamwork. We take you to the wildest places on earth. Welcome to the Houndsman XP Podcast, everybody. Thanks for tuning in this week. And uh man, I'm I've been looking forward to doing this podcast for a long time. Uh we're right in the height of deer season and the conflicts are abundant. <laughs> I've got neighbors that are that are crying about dogs barking and dogs running around here. I've had to had to put the young dogs up and keep closed tabs. It's pretty stressful for me. But uh I'm I am um, happy to have Austin Tomlin on the podcast. And Austin contacted me, man, it's been a while back. How long's it been? A, how long was that, Austin? Was that back in the it's spring? Probably,
1: it's probably been three or four months. I think it was this summer. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. And Austin has written a book called Uh Deer Hunting with Hounds, a Southern Tradition. And and when I first got contacted by Austin. I was like, Oh boy, here we go. It's another opinion piece, uh, justifying hounds with objective thinking. And, and my great granddaddy told me, and he's been doing this and I've been, my daddy and all of us have been doing this. It's a tradition. And, uh, you know, we know how that goes. People start posting stuff or writing stuff. And it's, it comes from an emotional based opinion, platform. And so I really didn't pick up the book. It was laying there on the, on the table. I'd thumbed through it and looked some pictures and there were pictures of deer and dogs and kids. And, and, uh, on my recent trip to New Mexico, then I took it with me because I was bound and determined to read that thing. And what I saw was an answer to a lot of the, the questions and a lot of the problems that, that I have been asked and addressed, and tried to do different differently with uh, fish and wildlife agencies. I mean, this thing is a masterpiece. When you get into the center of that book and you start talking about fair chase, and it's a, it's a, I was just impressed, Austin. I was impressed with the work you put into it, the way that you've cited the biology biological studies. I mean, we're going to get into all of that. So welcome I'm to the podcast.
1: Yes, sir. Thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to talking to you. I've been I've been excited about this for a while now.
0: Yeah, yeah. And uh, so Austin, tell us where you're from. Tell us we're gonna we're gonna get a little piece about you and, and what motivated you to write this book.
1: Sure. I'm I'm from Southeast Virginia. I grew up in a small town called Carsville, uh Virginia, or in Allawite County. I do most of my hunting in Southampton County. I I grew up dog hunting. I killed my first deer in front of dogs when I was six. Uh, I grew up steel hunting. I've hunted with the bow and muzzleloader my whole life. Uh, and uh, after, after you know, I graduated high school, I went to Hampton, Sydney. I majored in philosophy, got a degree there. And, I, and that's where I really uh, learned that I, I, I enjoyed writing. Uh, I kind of found my love for it there. And that's where the idea for writing a book about deer hunting with dogs uh, began. Yeah,
0: you say so you got a I,
1: degree in philosophy. You know, I looked in. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yeah. It's a <laughs> it's, it's a good degree to go into law school with.
0: <laughs> we, <laughs> we joke we joke around about uh, you know getting together and talking philosophy and stuff, but this is going to be this is going to be like the real deal. We're going to talk philosophy. Oh, yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah. Yep, all the – I mean. I learned how to think about in those philosophy classes. They really taught me how to think objectively and, and be open-minded. And, and I, I hope that showed in the book.
0: Yeah, you know, it did. But, it it sure did. Tell yeah, but what. I mean,
1: after I graduated college, I'm, I went to law school. I'm currently in my third year of law school at uh, Campbell university right here in Raleigh, North Carolina. I should be graduating in May and then I'm coming back home and i uh, going to join a small practice in Suffolk, Virginia. And, I live there the rest of my life. <laughs> you got plans, man. You got plans. Yes, sir. Yeah, but I, I wrote this book because there's nothing, there, there hasn't been anything written about deer hunting with dogs at, at, in a book. You know, I mean, there's a few articles online that you find, but in most of them, they're extremely uncharitable. They, The, the author has obviously never been. So they have a two or three sentence explanation of how deer hunting with hounds works. And then they provide their opinion on, on, whether it's ethical or unethical, whether it should or should not happen. And I wanted to write something that people could buy and, and, and pick up and have a at least a basic understanding of how deer hunting with hounds works. And I wanted to clear up some sort of the common misconceptions. You see, in all those little articles and, and and when you talk to people who haven't really been deer hunting with hounds, there's a lot of misconceptions, you know the deer catch the dogs, that the deer has no escape route. Uh, I mean, things like that are common from people who dogs run all the
0: deer out out of, you know, they run them into the next state and never see yeah. them
1: again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and it's easy to think that way when you've never done it, or you've never read something like this. So at least if, if you can't go deer hunting with hounds, at least you can read this book now and get a charitable, uh, in-depth explanation of how it works you know and that, that was my goal and I, I i hope it's worked
0: yeah it's uh it's one of those pieces that it's uh very unassuming and and um you know it's uh i've referred it i've actually referred some of my uh i'm not gonna say friends some uh people that that i know that have some real concerns with hounds and and their effects on deer hunting, and after I read it, and I, I found the bibliography in the back, I mean, I've forwarded that bibliography to multiple deer hunting experts, you know, uh, and and got there, at least encouraged them to read the studies, read the book, and, and I'll be the first to admit, you know, I did this for a living, and in wildlife management, and I don't get excited about reading peer-reviewed fish and wildlife studies, you know, Seth, Seth hall. I mean, that guy, he he'll, he'll devour that thing in 10 seconds and he just can't get enough of it. And, and so my advice to the, the listeners of this podcast is I get it, man, that that's technical stuff. Get a copy of Austin's book and read that because it puts it, you know, he, he lays it out in a way that we as houndsmen can relate to it. And I, I feel, I'm sorry for, we're here to talk to you, Austin. I just got some things I want to lay out. And I want to make sure that anybody that turns a hound loose reads this book just if not, for nothing else for the information in there about the effects that hounds have on deer and deer movement and things like that. Because I've been looking for resources like this for a long time. I'll tell you a quick story. Uh, probably in the early to mid 2005-6 era, there, uh, you know, we were looking to expand the the coonhound training season, running season here in Indiana, and uh, we went to hearings and different things. I was with the Hoosier Tree Dog Alliance at the time, and the only study that I knew of at the time was the famous South Carolina study of coon hunting and hounds and their effects on, on deer. And I always thought, well, let me get back to the story. And then I'll, then I'll tell you the, my, my wrap up. But uh, so we go into the meeting and the deer hunters had already lined up a biologist to come in and talk about that. And they already knew which study I was going to pick. And he picked apart the South Carolina study based on, um habitat differences in habitat between south carolina and indiana and he he really did a good job of discrediting it in our position whereas if i would have had things like the georgia study the texas study you know all of these these studies that have been done by the journal uh, journal of the southeast association of fish and wildlife agencies most deer hunters don't realize we get a ton of our research information and biologists right here in Indiana base their opinions and their management practices on what they're doing in Georgia. That's a huge one. So I, if I would have had some access to those studies, then I could have taken them totally off their game and said, what about this study? You know, this is where a deer is chasing a, or a dog is chasing a deer. That's their target species. So I was really excited to read this Awesome.
1: Yeah, those studies were—they weren't easy to find. There has there hasn't been many studies conducted specifically on deer hunting with hounds, but there has been a few, and I I tried to get as many as I could in, into the book. they just—it's it, very limited on on what you can find. But I mean, the most recent study I think was from two thousand three, so that's at least helpful. Um, most of the studies I think were from the seventies and eighties, which was a little a long time ago, but. The land hasn't changed but so much since then I mean there's more development but there's still mm-hmm. large tracts of land where the' similar behavior and uh, uh there's there's similar things going on with the deer and the habitat as there was in the 70s and 80s you know right so I, sure. I still rely on those studies but that's that's all I have to rely on there's there's not many studies out there I wish there would be some more uh, studies conducted uh like these older studies have been where they folk they radio collar deer mm-hmm they f- they figure out where the deer's home range is before the season and then they intentionally turn dogs loose on those deer and see what happens. I mean th- that that kind of study hasn't been conducted in 20 years that that I've seen, you know. Well de- deer but wildlife
0: management is a big complex thing. I mean you got to look at habitat, you got to look at uh you know the common term urban sprawl, you know, developments, things like that. But deer in and of themselves they you can put a house somewhere in the middle of a of nowhere and once the deer come accustomed to you being there they're going to come up to the window and eat the, eat the you know your landscaping we see it yeah. all the time so deer are highly adaptable to that sort of stuff and and they have not evolved to the point where human intrusion and different things like that are going to push them out just because i've decided to live here i think it's it's something we need to be on point for and i hate to see it as much as anybody but but you know trying to say that deer have changed in 20 years or their behaviors have changed it's totally unacceptable and it's just not true
1: yeah and and uh I see it in my experience every year that I go hunting. I mean, we run, we run the same bucks all year round. We'll see the same buck multiple times after being ran before. It's just, it's, it's hard to change people's minds with my personal experiences, you know? Yeah. And, and that's where I think these studies come in, come into play. The ones that we, we do have to work with, but I, I mean, I, we run, we get bucks on trail camera all summer long we we'll have them on trail camera during dog season. We run them multiple times. They might not be killed, and we'll see them again next year. I mean, the deer, its its the dogs don't have a substantial effect on a deer's home range, at least from my experience and these few studies that we've found. That's thats what it shows, and I, I don't know. I think that's one of the common misconceptions out there, they, that people think that when a dog gets behind a deer, that deer's gone. You know, he's going to be ran a country mile out of the block and never to return, but that's just not the case.
0: The science doesn't say that, does it?
1: The science does, doesn't say that. My experience doesn't say that. I mean, everybody I've talked to who, you know, hunted with dogs for 50 years, they'll tell you the same thing.
0: Yeah, and I, I we talk a lot about science-based management, and we 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 talk about, you know, I made the comment about my daddy, my granddaddy, you know, type thing. We can't discount that, that firsthand experience. So those old-timers... You know, a good hunter is a good hunter and they, they become good hunters because they're perceptive and they see things around them. They know where deer are going to move. They know how that deer is going to move. They know wh- what time of day that, you know, wildlife's moving. So we're not trying to discount the value and the wisdom and the knowledge of people who have been doing it a long time. What I'm trying to to accomplish here is giving people the resources that when they're in a conversation with a deer hunter that's trying to tell them this, they can, they can have science-based facts for that, that person and give them an opportunity because in this day and age, uh, deer hunters love to talk about, they always love to talk about science-based management. You know, it's, it's trendy. It's, it's fad. You know, we'll, all these guys talk about, you know, their favorite they, they see their favorite deer hunting celebrity use phrases like science based management. And now all of a sudden they're saying science-based management too. And and if if we can hold them to that, the science is on our side. It's, I, a, I mic, completely,
1: it's I a completely mic agree. Drop. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean a, a spirit experience alone is just it's not enough to persuade people who've never done it. Um, and with the, with these studies, you can you can talk to somebody and show them, look, here's what the science shows. Deer are returning back to their home range more often than not within 24 hours after being chased with dogs. And a lot of times, I mean, specifically in one study I have here, they turned out 200 plus dogs in every hunt. And the majority of the deer <laughs> re- were, yeah, the majority of the deer returned back to their home range during the hunt while the dogs were still in the block. I mean, these studies are—they—they uh, they support the experiences we've had, and I—I and I, I completely agree with you. If we—we we got these studies on our side, we should use them. You know, we should—we should make people aware of them, especially people who claim that the deer are substantially affected by dogs. It's just—it's just not true.
0: If I had had access to this kind of information, and it was—I mean, this was happening back in the day when I mean the. The internet was only 10 years old at the time, probably, and I wasn't real savvy on using it. Not the information isn't as available uh, as it is today, but sitting in that room, I can think of one, one statement that I could have made that would have ended the whole conversation. Do you believe in science-based management? Everybody agrees. We all believe in science-based management. Yes. Okay. Here's my study that says that it doesn't affect them. Where's your mm-hmm. study that says that it does? Yeah. So conversations over at that, at that point.
1: Yeah. And I, I haven't been able to find a study that shows a substantial effect on. Did you look? On deer's movement, deer's desired home range. Yeah. I've, I've, I've looked, <laughs> I've, I've gone through, <laughs> I've looked, <laughs> I've looked, Uh, spe- I mean, the, uh, Virginia has done a couple studies on deer hunting with hounds. I think one was called deer hunting with hounds a way forward. And then there's another yeah. study that they've done. And in both of those studies, there's a long list of citations at the end of those studies. I went through every one of those studies that I could get my hands on. Some of them I couldn't get access to. Uh, either They were, uh, they were unavailable, you know, they were cited mm-hmm. back then and now they're not on the internet anymore. Or I had to pay us, a lot of money to get right. access to it and then, right. you know yeah. but that those were rare the ones uh that i couldn't get access to i mean i was able to, to read most of them and and I, I never found a study that showed a substantial effect on deer popular on, on deer's movement and desired home range you know yeah now there's outliers in some of the studies you know but that's not um but they're outliers they're like the the, the biggest outlier that i can think of relating to a deer's desired home range was there was one deer in a study that took seven days to return back to his home range. That's the right. longest I've ever come across in a study that a deer stayed away from his home range after being chased with dogs. Now in that same study, all the other deer returned within 24 hours. You know, So this was a rare case. I don't think I've come across any other studies that show deer staying away from their home range more than 24 hours other than that one outlier and these um,
0: are, these were all specific to turning dogs loose to run a deer they're not out there chasing a hog or chasing a bear or chasing a raccoon or even a beagle chasing a rabbit you know i think there's a big misconception out there by people who don't know that that just having the the presence or the intrusion of the man and the dog there is going to somehow uh totally mess up their ability to hunt that property it's run for the season the mature buck is gone and and that's these studies show that we're there for the purpose of finding that mature buck turning a dog loose on him and running him to see when he comes home
1: yeah i mean they they put radio collars on these deer and then they'll monitor their home ranges, so they'll figure out before the season in the fall where are these deer living at, where where what's the furthest they'll go away uh, from where they're generally at, and and where where they so that that data will be used to determine their home range, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and then once they know where the deer is normally at before the season, then they can use that to determine what where the deer goes. Uh, after the dogs chased on there. So they they'll intentionally turn dogs loose on these deer that are radio college, see where they go, and then see how long it takes for them to come back, if they come back at all. And in every case, they come back. And 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 more often than not, the deer are back within 12 hours. Almost always they're back within 24 hours. Mm-hmm. Um and that's just what the stu- that's just what the studies show. I've I've read studies that have been conducted in mountainous habitat in western North Carolina. Uh, I've read studies that have been conducted in Virginia, Texas, South Carolina, Georgia, Florida, and all of them show the same thing. The deer is not substantially affected.
0: You know what app I use on my phone more than any other app besides the podcast app to listen to this here podcast? I use Onyx. Onyx Maps is the most comprehensive mapping system for hunters on the market today. I use it all the time. When I was in New Mexico, I was looking at 40,000 acres of ranch that I needed to learn. I flip open Onyx and just start studying, studying the map. When I'm riding trails, I put the tracking app on. It helps me get around in strange country. I could mark water sources, food sources, bear sign, just all kinds of options within Onyx. You need to check out Onyx maps by going to houndsmanxp.com. Click on the link on our sponsor page. You'll go right to Onyx Maps. And when you check out, enter the code HXP20 and you will get 20% off of your order. Know where you stand with Onyx. So I just had a conversation last week with a guy that uh, uh, made a post on Facebook or Instagram, I think, showing pictures of some neighborhood dogs that are running through the you know, running through in front of his, one of his cell, cell cameras, and he was all alarmed about it, asking for advice. And I know this guy fairly well. And I said, do you really think that we need to provide a platform for people to get on there and start talking about, you know, shooting dogs, you know, I I thought it was very irresponsible for, for him to do that Especially in the position he's in, he's he's fairly influential in the in the outdoor world. And um, I said, "Man, let's talk about this." And he goes, "Well, these dogs came through there and ruined my hunt." I said, "What do you mean it ruined your hunt?" I said, "It may have the the hunt, the way you wanted it may have changed, but my experience has been, I, I mean, I've spent hours and miles and I, I wouldn't even say months on foot." Out in wooded areas, I've seen dogs that the neighborhood strays come through a deer comes busting by me, and then you see the the mutts come right behind him, you know, and they're like, yeah looking for the deer and and while I'm standing there, that doe's running through there, and all of a sudden, if you stand still fifteen minutes later, here comes a buck sneaking through and sneaking. He's actually running the doe that the deer that the dogs were chasing Mm -hmm. i mean it's it's amazing and that's that goes back to that non-science-based experience but it's it's valuable experience that i think we get trapped in our own paradigm of how a hunt should go and then when it doesn't go that way we think oh it screwed the whole thing up i mean i'm the same way with with hunting hounds you know i my ideal bear hunt is to cruise down a forest road get this rig strike from the box put the dog down get the bear up and you know get the cold trailing get the get everything lined out and then pour dogs in behind and and stuff like that and then you catch the bear but just because it doesn't go that way doesn't mean my hunt's so
1: yeah uh, i we've had numerous standards shoot deer that were chasing does in the middle of a hunt you know while dogs are running in the block and they're And they'll have a a doe come through, especially especially when the season opens and the rut's going on. We standards don't come out of the woods during the hunt because you never know what might happen. And these these bucks are, I mean, they're not bothered by the dogs. I mean, they might stay bedded down if they hear dogs around. I mean, we I've seen, I've been sitting on the edge of a cutter before and watched dogs walk ten yards past a buck and the buck never move, Mm -hmm. and the dogs not smelling, they keep on going. I mean, they'll do that. They might stay down, but for the most part, it just doesn't affect them. I uh, and and I I recommend people who who don't deer hunt with dogs and live in an area where it's possible that dogs might be on your run a deer through your property. I would take advantage of that. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, you some of the biggest deer that are killed in Virginia each year are killed by steel hunters who end up shooting a buck in front of dogs that were from a neighboring club. You know, and if you if you hear a pack of dogs. Around your property, I, I I say go get in a tree stand. You never know what they might be running. You never know what might come through your property. Take advantage of it. And if you have a pack of dogs come through in the middle of your steel hunt, don't leave. <laughs> it's this those those, <laughs> deer, those deer have heard dogs before. They're not getting out of their bed unless they get jumped or unless somebody shoots around them or unless the, unless it's been a while. It's been a couple hours and they're starting to feel the pressure. They might get up then. Be patient. You know, that's, that's what, that's what I tell people, take advantage of
0: One of the things that I've, I've tried to convince, uh, some of my neighbors of here. And I think a lot of this, this energy and, and griping and complaining and just absolute resistance to dogs being on property is directly related to trail cameras and especially cell phone trail cameras. You know, they, they. They're getting instant updates. You know, they're seeing this stuff. I get pictures from my neighbor all the time about dogs on his property and, and not, not just when it's my dogs, but any dog. I said, Chris, those dogs are through there every day. They are, there, you know, a few times a week. And before you had cameras in your camera system, they were there. You just didn't know it. It didn't stop you from hunt. You
1: know, don't, yeah. Hurt. And you, you still saw a deer. You yeah. Know, you still, saw, and, and how many times do you think a coyote walks through there? you know i mean that's similar you know it's not the same thing and i've I've thought
0: about this i've thought about this if if the presence of a threat a predator whether it be predator or a perceived threat by deer move them out of an area imagine what's happening with coyotes wolves you know bobcats are a favorite target for the midwest uh deer hunter now because they think they're just raping and pillaging the deer herd. And that's an anomaly when a bobcat kills a deer. I mean, that is. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I I didn't even know bobcats killed deer. I I thought they were too small to, to, to make that happen. Well, I'd say
0: your coastal bobcats probably are, but you know, you get a, you get a 35 pound bruiser up here, a 30 pound bruiser from the upper Midwest. And and that's a big cat. Yeah. They're capable. And there's actually yeah. video evidence of it but they're not they're not the the terrorist hit squad on deer like they want it to be i think a lot of times deer hunters just need an excuse as to why they're not killing big deer because everybody's killing big deer look at them on facebook you yeah. know so they're mm-hmm. looking for reasons why they're not successful and i'm not saying all this i am 100 percent pro landowner rights you know a person's got the should have the right to dictate what happens on their property. And I'm not advocating that we abandon that at all. But as a landowner myself, I've dealt with landowner conflicts my whole career. And when I was working, you'd always start getting these phone calls at the beginning of this right before season came in. It's like, hey, my neighbor's got a tree stand. 10 yards from the property line, it's facing my property. I know he's going to shoot a deer on my property. I'm just like, who's your neighbor? he's some guy from Indianapolis, have you seen him out there before? He's like, he goes, oh yeah, he's, he's been out there the last three weeks. I said, did you stop and talk to him, introduce yourself, make a neighbor out of him, you know, Mm -hmm. let him know that, that, and build a relationship. He's like no, and I said until you do that, I don't care about his tree stand on his own property.
1: Yeah, you got to communicate. That's something that that I think uh, could be done done better for, in in every aspect of hunting, but especially in the dog hunting community, we got we got to communicate with each other. That's that's important for for the hunt itself, is planning and organization and and having those walkie talkies and being able to communicate during the hunt, but. More importantly is communicating with the landowners and especially the landowners who don't dog hunt in the area. You know, if, if you have landowner who who owns a farm, doesn't let you dog hunt, but you hunt a thousand acres beside it, go talk to them, introduce yourself, tell them you're the president of the hunting club. We hunt this. Uh, what do you hunt? You know, find out if they hunt. And if, if they're going to, you know, this is more, it's more important for when they're small pieces of land inside of larger tracts, you know, have communicate with those small landowners and, and ask if if they're hunting, if they hunt on Saturdays, say they work all week and they can only hunt on Saturdays don't hunt around them. If you can, you know, most of these clubs around here got 5,000 acres. At least you can, you can communicate with these landowners and try to coordinate to where property property rights issues don't happen you know, because, okay, you work all week, we can hunt a different block on Saturday and stay out of your way, and -hmm. and, and you'll stay out of our way, and and, and everybody will be happy, but I think a lot of people are scared to talk to those landowners that are against dog hunting, or they might not be against dog hunting, maybe they just don't want, they just don't want hunting to happen on their land, but we got to talk to those people, communication is key, you know, talk to the landowners, talk to the neighboring hunting clubs, the steel hunters around you, and, and and create a good relationship with. Yeah, you know, that's if you if you can create a good relationship, it, it, problems can be taken care of without law enforcement coming out there and without <laughs> things escalating. Without the game warden. Yeah. Yeah.
0: See, that's the that's the issue right there. Is you know when you read these studies that you've put together, the ones that you cited in the back of your book, I think hunters we just don't as houndsmen we haven't learned how to take information and make it work to our advantage yet um as a community as a whole few of us are it's good to see that i'm going to give you a chance to practice your litigation skills here in a minute uh, <laughs>
1: okay
0: as a as a young attorney in training uh, but as houndsmen, we've got to find ways to use information in our adva- to our advantage and uh, what will happen is these studies are out there. The biologists collecting this stuff, the only thing they care about is getting the right information, getting it in a peer-reviewed study, getting it published, getting it to their higher-ups. The reason that we as hunters need to understand this sort of stuff is because going on Facebook and complaining about your neighbor that doesn't, doesn't allow, you know, he hates hounds and stuff like that, that does zero nothing. It does nothing for our cause, but being able to go to a fish and wildlife meeting and where they're, they're looking at new laws to pass about hunting with hounds. If you can go in there and not have a narrative that this is my right, my heritage, and I've been doing it for 40 years and I ought to be able to keep doing it. If you can go in there and say, here's this scientific study, here's this scientific study, here's this, and, and lay that out in a logical way undeniable way then you're going to be victorious or you're going to have a much better chance of of being on the winning end of that that debate and but what i've seen in the past is houndsmen are really unorganized they have no desire to find out what the truth is and and i've said this before that when we talk from an emotional based platform we are no different than the animal rights activists. That's all they have. That's where they come from every time. And when we fall into that trick bag, we're doing exactly the same things that they're doing. So learn, understand, read, figure it out. And I wanna I, I wanna wrap the show up here in a few minutes with some solutions. But one thing that that I want to maybe do here, Austin, is I'll pl- I'll set the scenario up. I'll be the landowner. From your attorney-based litigation standpoint, you're going to have the opportunity to refute what I say. Okay, so we'll have a little debate here. I I just bought 15 acres and it's it's bordered by your 5,000 acre hunting club, and I like to deer hunt. And I'm from, I'm from the upper Midwest and I just got transferred down into Southeast Virginia um, by my company and I bought this 15 acres and and I'm gonna deer hunt on it. And the only way I know how to hunt is with cell trail, cell cameras and and tree stands and things like that. And, and so I'm sitting out here in my tree stand and here I, I hear the hounds coming, here they come. Deer run by me. Dogs run across my property that I paid for and they've run my hunt for the day and now the game warden is called and and where do we go from here? Mr. Deer Hunter, you run my hunt today.
1: Well, that's an, that's an accident that's going to happen when you hunt 15 acres surrounded by 5,000 acres of dog hunting woods. It's not something that we intended to do. We didn't turn We didn't we're not going to turn dogs loose on your 15 acres and we do everything we can to prevent the dogs from crossing that 15 acres. You know, we have GPS collars. We monitor these dogs. And and we're able to tone the dogs to to correct their behavior. And every now and then we're just not able to prevent the dogs from crossing property lines. And it's an accident that's that's uncommon. Especially it's becoming more and more uncommon with GPS technology and stuff, but it's something that we will continue to try to get better at and prevent. And if I'm talking to this individual specifically, I would, I mean, I would apologize for, for the dogs crossing his land, but I would also tell him that Apologies it's a reality. cut it
0: here, man. I, I only yeah. get a few hours a week to hunt. And yeah. you know, last week I had a mature buck on my, on my cell phone camera. <clears throat> and I saw your dogs come through, and I haven't seen him for four days.
1: Well, you only have, you only, I mean, you're only hunting 15 acres. A mature buck doesn't stay on 15 acres. So that's all acres I got. That's all I've season. got. Well, I'm just saying that there's reasonable alternatives as to why that you haven't seen that buck in front of your trail camera recently. Can I hunt you only your
0: 5,000?
1: 15. Yes, you're since more I've than welcome. Only got,
0: that's, since I've only that's got where I team.
1: That's where I was gonna to get to next is come hunting with us. You know, somebody like that who buys 15 acres. First thing we're gonna do, if you're if you seem like a decent person and respectful, we're gonna invite you up to the hunting club. Come up to the hunting club and eat dinner with us. Meet the guys, see if let's develop a relationship. And if if you want to come hunting, come hunting. You know, are we gonna hunt, hunt with hounds?
0: With are we gonna hunt with hounds?
1: Uh we're you gonna... can come hunting with hounds or you can become a member of the hunting club and And hunt with hounds when you want to and steal hunt we do we do both
0: well i don't you know where i come from hunting with hounds is unethical it's it gives you an unfair advantage
1: well why do you think hounds hunting with hounds is unethical how would you define ethics
0: well i mean it's something that i mean i see it all the time these these dogs are running down the through there and these trucks are lined up along the side of the road and and guys are standing out there with with shotguns and rifles and as soon as a deer pops out on the road they're firing shots down the road and wounding deer and and just all kinds of stuff i mean well you're gonna be ethical sitting in a tree stand and and hunting deer that way
1: yeah well if you're going to claim that dog hunting is unethical then we at least need to know what you mean by unethical we don't if you can't give us a definition of ethics, then we don't know how what your standard is here. So what, what's your standard of ethics? And then maybe we can see how you think dog hunting doesn't fit into that standard. I define ethics as a set of principles or values used to guide one's decisions. So if that's how you define ethics, then we need to know what your principles and values are that you use to guide your hunting. And if dog hunting how dog hunting doesn't fit into those values and principles for you it's my position that the most common values used in deer hunters is what i call the deer hunters ethics in my book are shared by dog hunters as well you know respect the land follow laws and regulations respect the animal respect the other hunter
0: but how can you respect the animal when you're turning when you're turning 15 hounds loose i mean that's no respect for the animal. When I'm when I'm out there one on one, I'm the I'm the only predator in the game at that point, and it's between me and the deer. It's not between me well, and the deer and these these dogs that are going to run every deer in the county.
1: Well, we res- we respect the animal by by taking good shots, good clean shots that are going to kill the deer efficiently and using all the meat up. We don't waste any of the deer. And also, I would say that it's not necessarily you're not completely one-on-one with this deer, I I would, I feel like it's a safe bet to say you're probably in a tree stand. You're probably using a gun or bow, some kind of Mm a weapon. Um, You probably got camouflage on. Do you use trail cameras? Do you have a food plot in this 15 acres? All of these things provide you with an advantage that I think dogs give us too. You know, we have, we, everybody has an advantage over the game that's being pursued unless you're going after that animal with your bare hands no shoes on and tackling to the ground oh any other um, but dogs are no more of an advantage for deer, deer hunters as the tree stand the long-range rifle the food plot the trail camera all those things give us an advantage dogs don't give us any more of an advantage we're able to follow all the laws and regulations respect the animal being pursued and land and hunters and we abide by the fair chase principle all things that other deer hunters do and which is why i think deer hunting with hounds is ethical you know so if you're going to claim deer hunting with hounds is unethical first we need to know what you mean by unethical what you what's your definition of ethics is and what are your values and principles that you use to guide your life um, underneath that ethical umbrella and if you can't tell us that then we're kind of at a loss for the discussion here you know um um so be more specific i mean you said you're not familiar with deer hunting with hounds. You just moved up here from from northern United States. So what? I'm one of those damn Yankees.
0: I moved down here and I'm never coming back.
1: Yeah, yeah. So how could you have any experiences with it in the first place? So given that, I'd say try it out. Come to the club. Eat dinner with us. Hang out with us. Play poker with us, and then come hunting with us. You know?
0: Yeah. All right. That
1: there's a there's a lot going on there. <laughs> yeah, there's a
0: that that conversation right there if you can do that with a cool head, then you know, you got a chance here. When would you yeah. bring in when when would you bring in the the data, the studies, the things like that? If you were litigating this case, you know, say you've got you've been hired to represent someone who is charged for uh trespassing, And, um, uh, when would you bring in the data
1: or would you at all? When they specifically make an objection related to the studies. So most people, they say it's unethical. Well, then you got to ask them, well, why do you think it's unethical? And if one of the reasons they give for saying it's unethical is because it, it push it, it alters the deer's behavior. It alters their desired home range. And it's, it's unethical to cause an animal to do do that. Um, then you can point to these studies that show that's not the case um, mm-hmm. also if they if they claim that that dogs have an effect on deer reproduction there's a study in my book that shows that's not the case right you know once the, once they bring up those specific objections see that the problem is most people don't know what they mean when they say something mm-hmm. is unethical or ethical they, they haven't thought about it enough and boiled it down to what that actually means which is so, the
0: purpose of that that's a purpose why we produce this podcast so that when a hunter engages in this debate and he says something off the cuff, like hunting with hounds is fair chase.
1: What do you mean? You know, exactly. what do you, what do you mean by fair
0: chase? We yeah. as houndsmen have to be able to define that. We've got to know what we're talking about. If we're going to say that it's ethical, then we've got to know what ethics means and and be able to back that up. And when I see studies like this, it puts tools in our kit to be able to prove our point, but we can't get tripped up all the time. And that's where I see the failure of, of I mean, I sat in multiple Fish and Wildlife Council, Natural Resources Commission meetings and all this sort of stuff. And everybody wants to go up to the mic and pound on the podium and say, I've been doing this forever. This isn't right. This is America. I've got rights under the Constitution. Blah blah blah. But they never get down to a reasonable conversation. There's just a guy or two that that can do that in a crowd of, of you
1: know, hundreds of houndsmen,
0: and it, that's what it takes. Yeah.
1: So I mean, yeah. When somebody when somebody says it's unethical, or it's not fair chase. Don't immediately respond thro- throwing your opinion out there. You need to first figure out. What they mean. Oftentimes, if you attempt to try to figure out what they mean or try to get them to define what they mean and understand it themselves, their argument starts to crumble, you know, it, as you break it down. But you got to break these arguments down. You got to know what you mean, know what you're saying and 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 have and have these studies to support you if they try to if they try to break the argument down into specific objections, have these studies to to uh, to counter those. Yeah, and I mean that's one of the reasons I wrote this book is because I, I hear I, I see so much on Facebook, especially Facebook, with uh, Houndsman. <laughs> yeah, Houndsman r- responding to to steel hunters and anti dog hunters in ways that just it just doesn't make sense. You know, right. you need to you need to think about it a little harder. And 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 I hope this book gives some some of these deer hunters the tools to respond to these objections, to respond to these common arguments, especially. That it's unethical, it's not fair chase. I mean, those should be easy conversations. I mean, not e- they're complicated conversations because it's 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 a, they're vague ter- terminology, but it should it should be easy to determine if you if you're talking with somebody who knows what they're talking about after two questions. What do you mean by fair chase? What do you mean by ethics? And if they can't tell you that, then it's almost hard to have an a, a debate at that point.
0: You right. Know? Right, and it's it's one of those deals again. You've got to know what those definitions are before you ever step into this thing. It's like, it's like you're not going to walk in the ring with a professional boxer if you haven't trained a little, at least a little bit, and expect to walk out of there without your face smashed. You know. So when you walk into this this conversation, be prepared. Be armed with the truth. Be armed with the facts but also have the the knowledge and the wisdom to know that a lot of times they don't care about the facts they've yeah. they they're emotionally charged they think they've had their hunt run for the day my advice for that is
1: don't engage them at all just yeah you got you, you can't you got to have a cool head you cannot blow up and these arguments and, and, and they shouldn't be called arguments. It should be debates. You know, if it, if it, it escalates into an argument, you should really stop talking, Yeah, stop talking, but keep a cool head, stay open-minded. You know, you're going to run into those people who, who don't care. You know, I'm against dog hunting and, and I'm never going to be for it. No matter what you tell me, you can't do anything with those people, but there are a lot of people out there who just don't completely understand. They have an opinion based on false pretenses so if you run into those people and they're respectful they have an open mind then you should too yeah try to understand how they're thinking about it maybe they don't understand exactly how it works and if that's the case explain it to them you know take 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 10 minutes out of your day and explain it to them how it works exactly maybe point to some of these studies tell them to read my book if they want to learn more about it but there are people out there who aren't Aggressively against dog hunting, they just never experienced it, and that there's nothing out there for them to learn about it. So, take the time and be open-minded with those individuals, at least. Take yeah, them I hunting. Think- you know, I've had one of my best friends. He he goes deer hunting with hounds with me every year. He goes uh, once or twice with me every year, and he didn't start until until we met in college. And he absolutely loves it. He's been steel hunting his whole life, and he looks forward to coming down to Southeast Virginia every year. Yeah,
0: I'll tell you what, man. It's uh- in this day and age, it's like people—we uh, just don't want to move off of our our paradigms. You know, we get we get caught in this paradigm paralysis, and and we 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 entrench ourselves on some of the dumbest issues, and and it's polarizing, and that's what drives it. So, you know, when I say don't engage, there there's going to be nothing that is going to push the abolishment of hunting with dogs more than you losing your cool and end up with your mugshot on the evening news. Cause it's not going to say Joe Smith got arrested for beating this guy up. It's going to say deer hunter attacks landowner in Southeast Virginia. That's what it, yeah. you know, deer dogger, you know, something like that houndsman. So it's not going to be productive and, and that's what i've taken away from your book austin is is you have written this thing that is non-offensive it's non-challenging it's just factual you you did a great job of putting the intrinsic values in there you know the values of hunting with kids and family and and all this Mm -hmm. stuff i want to talk about some solutions that we as houndsmen should be looking for and especially the the you guys have got a unique situation. You've got clubs, you know, hunting clubs and the coon hunters used to have clubs and they're, they're kind of dwindled, but let's talk about some real solutions for, uh, you know, playing this game effectively in our communities. And I'll just start off, you know, Mark Booth runs Southern Hound Hunting Magazine and in, in, out of Vidalia, Georgia. And uh, I went down there for a deer hunt and we uh had a great day of hunting we took some veterans down there and uh mark laid it set this whole thing up he had landowner buy-in he had community buy-in and and he was showcasing the fact that his club was taking america's wounded veterans or america's veterans on a hunt so he's showing that his club was giving back to the community so let's talk about some of those options that these clubs can be you know steps they can be taken to be more successful and be more accepted in their communities
1: yeah so uh the wounded warrior uh wounded veteran projects that 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 stuff goes on around my area too i think central hill hunting club hosts a number of, of veterans in the ally county for a hunt each year, I think it's Central Hill Hunt Club and Orbit Hunting Club. Uh, Freedom Hunters um, is
0: Freedom Hunters is an organization that we're I'm sorry. involved. Freedom Hunters is the organization that we're involved with. I know we they do deer hunts yeah. in Virginia and we do mm-hmm. stuff in in South Georgia and uh, yeah, it's been highly successful. So I'm sure ahead. that's
1: probably the same organization too. They they, they do a similar thing around home. Um, that's that's a great that's a great event that that should continue to happen. Other than that, you know, just be involved in the community. Yeah, go around to your landowners and, and, and people who just live in the area and take some meat to them, you know, take some deer meat to them and, and offer, offer them something like that. Just go up there and introduce yourself. Hey, I'm I'm so and so, the hunt master at at the club. Uh, here's my number, here's my name. If you have any problems, call me but you got to develop these relationships and you got to communicate. And other than communicating and developing a relationship with your community, just follow the laws and regulations, you know, don't do anything stupid. (laughs) Don't, don't, (laughs) don't trespass. The deer is not worth it. Uh, dog not worth it. And we're all, we're all setting an example for dog hunters across the nation with it, with everything we do. So continue to follow laws and regulations. Don't trespass. Don't shoot where you can't shoot and and hunt hunt legally and develop a relationship with your community you know yeah uh, yeah the, some the clubs that the clubs that fall apart are the ones that that lose touch with the local landowners and then they eventually lose land and then next thing you know the only thing they're hunting is is leased timber land and then that timber company doesn't want dog owners anymore so there's no longer a club
0: there. The attitude within those clubs can be infectious. One, good or bad. You know, I've seen mm-hmm. several clubs over the years where they became an exclusive club where, you know, they go behind their closed doors and they get this attitude that the whole world's against us and they're secretive. They don't get involved in community. And and everyone that I've ever seen do that has failed miserably. Whereas yep. the clubs that, like in Indiana, you can enroll your organization in an adopt a highway program where you can go out every every hound hunter's got a pickup truck and you pick a day in june or july or may or when the weather is good or whatever and go out and clean up a roadside ditch you've got obligations you pick up some trash now you get a sign up there that said this highway is sponsored by so and so hound hunting club hunting club yep you know that's all good image, and then and then you you stay engaged and you make sure that that you don't just take meat to the to the neighbors. You invite them up on a night that you're having a a banquet dinner. Or, you know, just invite them up to, hey, we're having a community night at the club next week, oh, and we're inviting you to come up. And when when people start putting those faces together, you know, maybe they they have a harder time you know, shooting darts at you trying to shoot holes in your boat. You know, clubs need to start doing things like uh, buying livestock at the local 4-H. You know, this lamb was bought by Vidalia Hunting Club or whoever it is, you know, Bear Branch Houndsman.
1: Any way you can get involved in the community, I, I recommend doing it. You know, like you said, invite people up to the hunting club. There's plenty of clubs around, around the area, including ours that invite landowners and people that don't hunt with us. You know, they just come yeah. up there and eat dinner with us and meet people and get along. I mean, that's how it should be. It's 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 a it's a commu- it's a communal activity and it doesn't it doesn't exclude the people who aren't hunting in the hunting club. It it includes right. the people surrounding the hunting club and everybody's gotta be a part of it. Even if you don't hunt, at least have somebody's phone number to call if you have an issue or a problem, you know, and, and let's communicate. Right. But when, when, when silence takes over an area, it's inevitable. The demise of, of that club is in, is inevitable. And it just, you got to communicate. It's, it's important. And, and along the same lines as, as, uh, as this is, I want to urge houndsmen everywhere to take advantage of the GPS collars that we have nowadays. I don't think, I don't see many people nowadays not using Garmin GPS collars, but we should be using that technology with the advancements in technology that we've had over the last 15 years. It's become much easier to prevent property trespass, dog related trespass, and we should be taking every advantage, every opportunity we can to take advantage of that technology and prevent it. And that'll also help ease relationships in the community, you know, we're, we're taking advantage of the tools that we have to try to prevent any problems. And we're also developing a relationship with the community. And that's, that's just what you got to do as, as a club to to stay, stay alive and, and, and continue to, to hunt.
0: And we all know, I mean, as much as we spend time, as we spend out there hunting, we know what landowners are volatile towards houndsman and so if I'm watching this on my GPS my experience hunting you know last three times I hunted there the dogs ended up over there and I had to call them back or whatever you know I can use my Garmin at that point I know which way they, I know where it's going you know I've seen this we've been doing this for years and that's a new landowner those deer always run that way or that coon always runs that way or the bear or whatever and now the guy that owns a property doesn't want my dogs here. So yeah. you can, you can simply, you can simply do a recall. It takes a little more effort to teach it, but Heath Hyatt talks about that all the time on his podcast, the journey about training techniques. So if you're, there's no excuse, it's, it's capable of being done. I mean, when you can send, uh, um, a police dog on a full send at a bad guy, and stop that dog halfway down and put him in a down. You can teach a hound to return to you on a tone.
1: Yeah, we we have some some really good, well trained uh deer dogs and at our hunting club. I mean, we have they'll they'll come to load up, hop on the tailgate, get in the box, don't even have to put your hands on them. And I've seen they're all tone broke. There's no excuse for them not to be, in my opinion, at this point with, with Garmin GPS collars. They should be tone broke so you can call them off. But I've seen deer on a full uh oh, dogs on a full sprint across a field on a track and houndsman presses the tone beat, beep beep, beep the dog slams on brakes turns around and comes straight to the truck that's how I you're mean, gonna
0: take the drive out of those dogs austin those dogs they there they won't chase deer like that next time if you if you start toning them and
1: it's it's not it's not not very often now <laughs> we, and, and i will say we never ever shock a dog i i know some people who who have done it and do but we never shock our dogs we tone we tone break them and there you go you very told, rarely you do the tone
0: breaking away from the hunting situation yeah
1: so you, but it's 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 in it's a tool that's there if they, like in that case where the deer was running straight to a property we know we can't hunt and we have an opportunity to prevent the dogs from crossing that property line and if you can do it. I mean, that's, that's prevent the, the dog trespass, but it doesn't happen very often. You're not, it's very hard to get in a position like that where, where you're looking at a long, a big field and you can, you can tone break the dogs and the dog stops and sees the truck and knows exactly right. where to go. But, but they're all tone break broke. So when they're not hunting, you know, they're not, they're not on a track. We can tone them. They'll, they'll come, come to your voice. Yeah. Um, but yeah. So, I mean, if, if that's, if you can, I think there's no excuse for houndsmen in the in the deer world to to not have their dogs at least tone broke so they can get them out of a place quicker and and if worst case scenario I know you say it's not good for the dogs but worst case scenario if you have to break them off of a track so they don't go on somebody's property.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I was saying that facetiously that's the kind of feedback I hear all the time. It's yeah. Guy like, oh, you can't correct a dog around a tree. Oh you can't correct them for this. It's like yeah you can't. <laughs> sure you can you do it we do it all the time i mean training your hound is no different than training a police dog a labrador a bird dog you know to woe to stop to do all this other stuff it's just simply something that hasn't been traditionally done and going back to the old timer and i could speak because i'm getting to that age you know there's just some things that that we get entrenched in and we think it's bad i mean 25 years ago it was, it was a bad thing to pet a hunting dog. You know, don't pet that dog. He's a hunting dog. And now we see people whose hounds are living in the house and they're catching lions every day. And, and, you know, it's, some of the old mindsets have been debunked. I mean, we used to, we used to drill people holes in the tops of people's heads to relieve headaches. We don't do that anymore. You know, (laughs) (laughs) it's not a, it's not a good practice.
1: So I mean my, my great granddad, he used to they used to turn dogs out and then just go back home after the hunt. And the dogs didn't have collars on, they would come to the front porch of the house at, at, at night. And he'd he'd go out there at night and they'd be sitting on the front porch. He'd put them in the kennel. Well but you, can't, up- you can't do that nowadays, and there's no reason to do something like that with the collars we have. But but it just shows you how much things change over time. That was just, you know, three generations ago.
0: That brings up something very interesting because a lot of the studies that you included in your book in the, in the synopsis of the study, they talk about, you know, the effects of deer and blah, 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 and how to, one of the studies that, that, um, I really dove into was a best manager management practices and current status of deer dog hunting in the Southeast. Okay. So that study was largely about it's happening. What are we going to do with it for the future? And, and we talked about, you know, some things that clubs can do, but all of those studies talk about cultural acceptance. The world's changing folks. And if we don't figure out how to change with it and stay in front of it and think strategically for the future, then we're going to find ourselves without without being able to turn dogs loose. And there's a, Eric Hoffer made a statement that I've always looked at when I was in leadership and different things, but it just served me very well. It said, it goes like this, goes, the learners will inherit the earth while the learned, the learned will inherit a world that no longer exists. Find themselves beautifully prepared to to deal with a world that no longer exists. Meaning that People to learn, behind. keep yeah. on learning, and and if you think you've got to the place where nobody can tell you anything, the world's changing every day. You're going to find yourself in a world you don't recognize. Yeah,
1: I completely agree. You never can stop learning, especially in the career I'm going into. The law changes by the year. minute.
0: <laughs> you know, every yeah. every minute the laws changing, court rulings, different things like that. I think. People are going, especially the folks in Virginia, people in your club. Um, I think you're going to be an asset for the future announcement, Austin, I really do. It's it's really a, an anomaly to find someone who, you know, just as evidenced by your book, you, you got down in that thing and you wrote something that that is going to be useful for anybody fish and wildlife managers ought to read your book um to get an idea of who we are and where we come from and then apply that and see that not every houndsman out there don't paint us with broad brushes you know a guy like you with with your skills and and your training as an attorney you're going to be valuable
1: i hope so i want to see my grandkids shoot a deer in front of dogs you know and i i wanted to continue i I hope it does (laughs) I'm going to do everything I can to see that happen.
0: For sure. Well, Austin, thanks for taking time. Tell our audience where they can find your book and uh, help put a help put a starving college student through law school.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's called Deer Hunting with Hounds: A Southern Tradition, and you can find it on Amazon. Um, if you if you do buy a book from it from Amazon, uh, leave a review for me, please. I haven't got I haven't had many reviews I've had I've sold some books but not many people leave reviews so leave a review for me tell people what you think about the book and you can also find me on Instagram or Facebook if you'd like to buy books from me in person they're a little bit cheaper in person and I can I can try to make that happen and if you read the book and want to reach out reach out on Facebook or Instagram and we can talk about what you what you think about it I, I love to hear how what people think about the book and and I'm always willing to talk so and uh Mr. Powell thanks for having me on the podcast I've I've really enjoyed this. It was a good conversation.
0: Yep. You're you're more than welcome, Austin. Keep up the good work. I just want to make sure that everybody got your your taglines, your handles on Facebook and Instagram. Where do they find you
1: there? Yeah, on Facebook, you can probably just type in my name's Austin Tomlin, T O M L I N. And on Instagram, my my name, I think it's A Tomlin70 or it's, it's either a Tomlin 70 or a Tomlin 15. I'm not, I need to double check that, but either way, find me on Facebook is probably the easiest way to get in touch with me. I would recommend that direct, send me a direct message if you want to talk and I'll give you my number and we can talk on the phone.
0: Sounds good, man. Sounds good. Well, thanks for tuning in everybody to this week's episode of the Hounsman XP podcast. Hopefully this conversation was uh beneficial entertaining but most of all you know make sure you're keeping a cool head out there think progress you know think think into the future don't think about today think about where we're headed uh i'm always glad to have you know some deer deer dog guys on the podcast and and let everybody know we're not just thinking about bears and coon hunting and lion hunting and stuff like that i mean there's a lot of opportunity out there I've only participated in one deer hunt with hounds. I had a blast. I saw a side of a bunch of houndsmen that uh that it just opened my eyes. You know, I went into that situation with some preconceived ideas. At the end of the day, I saw guys that were just as passionate, conscientious about what they do as what I do. And um, uh, if we're gonna make this thing work into the future, we've got to break out of our own little tribes and go experience deer dogs and running rabbits with beagles and chasing a bear and you know it's not just a one-dimensional world and we're never going to make a bigger impact until we come together as a hound hunting community and back our brethren whether they're chasing deer bobcats or whatever they're doing so make sure you check out our all our stuff over on our website man it's we're loaded up there we're selling the selling the fire out of those joiner die hoodies right now i want to tell everybody a little bit about that so i'm more than happy to uh tell you that that the profits for that shirt and that sweatshirt are going directly to crwm coloradans for responsible wildlife management initiative 91 out there the animal extremists are coming after uh, science-based wildlife management there, making it an emotional issue, and trying to outlaw a line of bobcat hunting out there. And that's going to have a wide-ranging effect on all wildlife management in the state of Colorado. And don't get caught up and don't think that it doesn't affect you because it's Colorado, because Colorado is just a launching pad. There's already designs in Montana, Nevada, and New Mexico, that they're gonna carry this fight on too. We're already starting to see some of it coming up in New Mexico now. So help us, help them, help your brothers in Colorado and take a big take a big bite out of this thing that's uh, full of salt on our hunting rides. So go to houndsmanxp.com. It's a join or die collection. We'd love to see you purchase one of those and help Colorado houndsmen. All right, Nick, till next time, Thanks for tuning in to the Houndsman XP podcast. This is Fair Chase.